Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fike Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Doro, and joining me is not Robert Silva. He'll join us in a little bit, but wanted to start the episode a little bit different. We're going to do some experimenting on the show or the, in, in the near future, and we're going to be bringing on some more guests on to the show. And the first one is someone whose work I admire. It's a tremendous content creator. His name is Albert Baker. You may know him in the boxing circle as the guy behind the Under the Wraps documentary series, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, series. He's got an episode coming out on, I believe, March 3rd on Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez as he's going to be facing this weekend on uh, against Julio Cesar Martinez on The Zone. And Albert, thank you so much for coming on here. I, I, I mean... Huge fan of the work. I'm, I'm proud and honored to call you a, a friend as we've chatted regularly with, our, with all of our boxing colleagues on Zoom on, uh, on Friday. So, Albert, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. I truly appreciate it. <laughs> so, Albert, before we kind of get into the Under the Hand Ramps episode on Chocolatito and, and the fight that we got going on on the zone, I do want to get your rapid reaction to what we just saw. And I guess this is now dating this recording. We were doing this immediately after Josh Taylor's win, quote unquote, against Jack Catterall on ESPN Plus in Scotland. He retains his undisputed junior welterweight titles by split decision. Scores were 114, 113. One, no, I'm sorry, 114-111 for Taylor, 113-112 for Taylor, and 113-112 for Catterall. I personally did not like the scores. This was a very, it was a very bizarre fight, especially in the second half where the referee docked a point of both of these guys unnecessarily. Catterall scored a knockdown in the eighth round against Taylor. And, you know, my in my eyes, I wasn't scoring it round by round, but I thought Jack Catterall, had the upper hand for most of the fight and with the sharper puncher and Taylor just really couldn't get it into second gear. But I'm curious what your thoughts were. I thought Catterall was winning the fight. I, I gave the fight to Catterall by a round. Uh, wouldn't have been upset had Catterall won by two. Uh, I didn't think Taylor won, but it doesn't upset me that he did win because he turned it up in the back half of the fight. The mm -hmm. Early on in the fight, I thought Catterall was definitely getting the best of him. I uh, scored the knockdown. I think the highlight of the fight uh, and what's going to turn into the most talked about part of the fight is the ref and how atrocious the job he did. Uh, he, he involved himself way too much. And I think he took some of that momentum from Catterall when he took the point away from him, which was just, it was a terrible call. It, it, it seemed as though the ref thought that he was a part of the fight rather than supposed to be just uh, refereeing the fight. Yeah, and in sports, usually when we talk about a referee, it's never a good thing. And, and in this right. case, he really made him – you, you said it best. He made the fight about himself, and there were moments even before the knockdown where he was stopping and pausing the action a lot, and I'm kind of thinking – Oh, this is a, this might eventually blow up in Catterall's face if you know the referee kept kept that up, and he did. He 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 dropped. He docked the point for for Catterall. He didn't really never really explain why the why that point was deducted off of Catterall, and, and then he docked the point after the 11th off of Taylor after he you know he gave that you know slight jab 
to to Catero's mint section. You know, it wasn't like a, a hard punch, but you know, he shouldn't have done it, but still that that was, you know. Well, I'll bet I'll bet he took that point from Taylor because after he took the point from Catterall, you know that guy in between rounds was getting screamed at by everybody. <laughs> so I think he knew at that time that he had messed up and taken a bad point. So it was sort of like a redemption point that he took off of uh, Taylor just to sort of even things back up. It was it was a terrible performance by the ref, but more importantly, I think it was a terrible performance by uh, Taylor. He looked like he had a lot of nervous tension, a mm-hmm. ton of nervous energy as the fight started. I think he tried way too hard to go for the knockout. It looked like he really underestimated Catterall, who showed some good poise. Catterall showed some good patience in the pocket, great timing. He was able to land on Taylor almost whenever he wanted to, and he pulled Taylor in to making mistakes as he was backing up. Taylor was Taylor was just over anxious uh, to get the fight on, and Catterall was not obliging at all. And he was able to capitalize on everything that Taylor did, which was pretty amazing. It just seemed as though uh, the body work that Taylor was uh, utilizing uh, started to really take effect on Catterall in about the 10th round. Once the championship rounds hit, it seemed as though Catterall had slowed down a little bit more than half a step. And Taylor was really starting to ratchet up the pressure. So now moving on to the reason why I wanted you to be on here. It's uh, to discuss your Under the Hand Wraps episode with Chocolatito. It's not the first time you've done an Under the Hand Wraps episode on Chocolatito. You did one on him quite a while back. And sort of before we sort of get into the real nitty-gritty about current day Chocolatito, what was sort of like we're getting to sort of work and sort of create that episode of the first time you, that you did on Chocolatito. Well, that one was kind of a process in the making. Um, <clears throat> so I've done about 42 different, uh, no, this is the 44th episode. So prior to this 43 uh, different boxing documentaries on a slew of different fighters. I've done multiple on some fighters. Uh, I started filming Chocolatito back in 2014. Uh, Under the Hand Wraps was started out as a uh, a column that I used to write for a website called Instant Boxing, uh, which it's it's now defunct and offline, Uh, but it was based out of the UK. And that was when I had met Chocolatito and I was, I went there, you know, and I always took a camera with me and I I started filming him. And, uh, and then they invited me back every single camp and I got to know everybody and uh, became pretty good friends with Chocolatito and with the team. And, uh, so that episode, the first episode, was sort of a culmination of all those years of filming. And it was the last episode that I had released uh, prior to the uh, beginning of the pandemic. And it was sort of like a, a recap of his career up until that point. And a demonstration that just because you lose, it doesn't mean that you haven't achieved all these things. Because one of the intents that I had going into that episode was here you had this fighter who had this miraculous career you know but he's in one of the weight divisions and he was in the lower weight divisions uh, that just don't get any shine they don't get highlighted at all and you had chocolatito who was suddenly paired with triple g as the little drama show and the big drama show <laughs> and he became his popularity rose in the united states and it was sort of a demonstration that uh just because you come from uh, these terrible backgrounds uh, coming out of poverty. Uh, you know, I talk about in in the first episode how uh, how it is growing up poor 
in a in a different in a country outside of the United States, it's not the same as growing up poor in the U.S. We grew up poor in the U.S., but there's a lot of assets and resources for uh, people that live in poverty within the U.S. Whereas when you grow up poor outside of the U.S., you you don't have that. You're just you're just poor, mm-hmm. you know, and you kind of got to suck it up. And uh, I had Dougie Fisher on that one, and uh, we sort of went through uh, his career, his upbringing, and talked all the way uh, until explained all the way until the losses to sore rung beside and talked about the loss of his trainer, how that had affected him and how he had a new team. Then the pandemic hit, obviously, uh, you know, filming and things like that were, uh, were unable to do. So I had a good episode uh, and I put it out. Uh, I think it was just before the Calumet Wi-Fi was when we got that one out. And uh, it did well. It did really good. I got a lot of, uh, a lot of good uh, comments and, and reviews on it uh, got uh, embedded into some some larger sites that gave it some good traffic and I, I was pretty fortunate and grateful to chocolate for letting me do it and you know and the one thing that I love about these uh, these documentaries that you do is that it's not first of all they're phenomenal but the quality of them it's just superb and and i remember and i'm looking at these i'm kind of thinking like this this is giving me some big like hbo 24 7 vibes uh you know the documentaries that they had uh when you know when hbo boxing was, was still a thing and i they were simply phenomenal and i'm curious what was sort of you know as you kind of progress and kept doing more uh, of, of these videos, what sort of, what did you sort of, if you had taken any maybe inspiration from other, uh, from other boxing documentaries or documentaries in general and sort of seeing how that has sort of uh, applied and evolved into sort of what it is right now? Uh, well, obviously HBO 24-7 is a huge inspiration. I mean, yeah. you, you know, if you're a boxing fan and you're not inspired by watching HBO 24-7, there might be something wrong with you. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the All Access series from Showtime, uh, mm-hmm. those guys have phenomenal cinema- cinematographers, mm-hmm. uh, and they take some really great shots, and, and I like what they do. But I sort of started, uh, I started the whole documentary thing, and I started covering boxing, actually, altogether. Uh, you, you know that I used to serve in the military. I just recently right. retired. Yes. Uh, and, uh, I, I started filming and telling boxer stories as sort of a, a therapy for PTSD. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, seeing a therapist and, and he said, you need a hobby. And, uh, so I started writing about boxing, started mm-hmm. filming boxing. And, uh, that was a lot of where, uh, the inspiration comes from because I'm a kid from the streets. I grew up, I was homeless when I was a teenager and, uh, you know, the army sort of saved my life. And I, as I was talking to fighters, I started realizing that it was similar uh, how a lot of these guys grew up poor. They grew up in poverty. They grew up in foreign countries. And it was boxing that had saved their life. And so I could instantly relate to them. And I could relate to the trauma that they were receiving in the ring and how that trauma affected them. You know, I, I didn't only film fighters that were undefeated. I like telling mm-hmm. the hard stories, you know, the stories of the guys that take that loss because that's where you find the pain and the, and the emotion in a story. That's what makes a story. You know, there's a million and one guys filming the undefeated fighters and, you know, they make they make a short video like it's a music video, but there's no story behind it. That There's no soul within the content. And most fighters that have a loss or that have experienced some pain, 
when they explain that trauma, seeing them describe it and being able to put that into a story and have it translate on screen so that a viewer can understand it and absorb what's happened to them, take a step back and say, they're not that much different than I am and truly relate to them. I think that not only creates a fan, but it's something that just makes me feel good inside being able to show a side of a fighter in a fighter is somebody who's tough, who's rugged, who's unbreakable, unbendable, but to show that softer side, to show that emotional side behind this gladiator, behind this warrior uh, facade in the front, it's uh, it's really what I, I try and communicate. And I, you know, I, I appreciate all the love that I get on these episodes. Yeah, and, and you touch up on a really good point. You know, when it comes to, obviously, everybody knows, you know, the top stars, the Canelos, the, the Errol Spence, the Crawfords, the, you know, the Anthony Joshua, the Wilders and everybody, but when working and, and you know and i've got a little bit of experience in this regard but when it comes to sort of talking to some of these fighters that not a lot of people pay attention to or they're from countries where boxing fans traditionally don't look towards to you almost kind of get I, i'm not sure if the best stories is the right word or the right phrasing but they're the ones that i look at and like they're the one that make you, that makes you feel the most human that there's always that there's a relatability there that's just that you can only sort of go if you sort of go that deep into into boxing because you know there's a lot of fighters that you know some people may not know this but a lot of fighters boxing is not their 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 only job they're they're just regular people like you and I and we and they also have jobs they have their own struggles and like you mentioned a lot of these came up uh, for poverty and, you know, they, they have to fight to sort of escape. And in some regards, they're still trying to fight to escape that to this day. You know, and you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, it's not that I wouldn't want to go film the Canelos and, and, and right. all them, you know, but uh, those guys, they all have plenty of people telling their stories. So it's just not as interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when, when a fan can relate to a fighter it turns them into a bigger fan of that fighter you know i there's a lot of fighters that i absolutely love to watch fight but not everybody that i love to watch fight i can relate to you know internally with their story but when there's a fighter that i can relate to internally with their story with their background and how they've gotten to where they're at I'll root even harder for that fight. I'll make sure that I support that fighter, not consciously, but subconsciously. I'll make sure that I root for that guy that, that I just relate to more because I've experienced some of their struggle. And that's, that's a lot of what we try and capture and put out uh, in under the hand wraps. You know, it, it's, it's all about the story and it sounds so campy and so cheesy to say it's about the story, you know, because I, it, it is, you know, but I do try hard to, um, make sure that the cinematography and that the sound of the documentaries are in line with the gravity of what I'm trying to put across. In order to do that, it takes practice, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of experience. Uh, but that's the goal of, of the show uh, in, in communicating to the audience. The, in the cinematography of it all, it's absolutely top-notch where I remember watching the David Benavides episode 
And like the first 15 seconds is just these jump cuts of not just David talking, but then you get all these other guys at middleweight, the super middleweight, and then get just transition seamlessly into him, just sort of uh, him and his train just running up in the desert and then jumps back into what's a very intense David Benavides is just spectacular. And when it comes to now working on this current episode with, with, with Chocolatito, one thing that I really thought was very interesting was, and for those of you who don't know, I did a little bit of work on this one at helping Albert translate. Uh, oh, come on. You, you did some heavy lifting, Carly. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that I, that I noticed about Chocolatito is that, you know, obviously outside the ring and we're all looking at him and it's like, this is such a, like a quiet, soft-spoken guy. And then when you put him into this, into this setting, it's still the same Chocolatito, the same demeanor. And even when he was talking, he's talking about the loss to Estrada, it never felt like there was uh, any bit of animosity or any bitterness towards the loss. It's, it's almost amazing uh, how, you know, how even keeled and, and cool uh, and level-headed Chocolatito is. You know, Chuck, Chocolatito is not just a miraculous fighter. He is an equally miraculous human being uh, when you get to talk to him and get to know him. Uh, he is the most humble person I've met in boxing. Mm -hmm. And contrary to what a lot of people might believe, there are a lot of humble people in boxing. Mm -hmm. But Chocolatito is without a doubt uh, one of the most soft-spoken uh, nicest people you will ever meet in the sport and uh you know it it, it comes across whenever you interview him. you you're not going to ask chocolatito you know one of these uh troll questions <laughs> that you see like on twitter or on youtube or or anything like that and get a response out of him. he's always gonna you know be straight up straight down with you uh in a very soft-spoken way and I don't want to reveal too much on this episode because I do want to leave a lot of stuff uh, for the uh, uh, for when people actually do get a chance to watch it uh, on, under the hand wraps uh, later this week. But there are a couple of stories uh, of Chocolatito that I thought were unbelievable that I didn't even realize, especially relating to his dad uh, and how he sort of got Chocolatito into the sport and. I love the I love Chocolatito's confidence when you asked him about his abilities in soccer, and I thought it was I thought it was it, it was great. It almost felt like the first time I ever saw sort of uh, Chocolatito sort of sound confident and a little cocky, which I actually liked. And uh, it, this those moments those are always kind of fun moments to sort of see out of a fighter that you decide that the public doesn't really know or get a chance to see. Well, you know, we're always bombarded with these with these Twitter lines and, uh, you know, what what's popular and what's hot in the media, you know, asking a asking a fighter about sports he played when he was a kid and, you know, about how he grew up and things like that doesn't always make uh, for hot headlines. But whenever you're doing things like documentaries, you know, it definitely makes for some good emotional content. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, he he's definitely hard to get to talk about himself. Mm -hmm. But when we brought that up, you could tell he likes yeah. uh, football or soccer, you know, because and also too, it came across in the interview, like in the look on his face, like, yeah, that's soccer. Gotcha. <laughs> so 
originally Chocolate to the Field was supposed to fight Juan Francisco Estrada the third time. Obviously, not happening. He's fighting Julio Cesar Martinez, and it's quite a very different uh, look at, at this fight. There's a it's a very seismic shift now because it's no longer what may be the last chapter and what undoubtedly would have been a legendary trilogy in, in boxing. It's already. I mean, the, the the second fight, I consider that an all-time great fight at Super Flyweight. In my my opinion, it was the best fight of 2021. But now, it's now shifted into, you got this young guy in Martinez coming up in weight, this physically impressive-looking flyweight who's already the, 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 the WBC champion at that weight. And now he's going to be, go up against Charlie Tito, and it's a very different fight than I look at. This is very, I could see either guy win this one. I think this is a genuine 50 55 mainly because there's so many ways this can go. I mean, you can, I can see, you know, Martinez impose himself physically against Chocolatito. And, you know, I could also see Chocolatito still retaining that same level of speed and boxing ability that he's displayed on for years, especially in the second fight against Estrada and just outbox Martinez. So, it's a very unique fight, and I think this is going to be a lot more competitive and a lot better and a lot more unique than, you know, I guess a similar occurrence that we saw uh, a few weeks back when Jesse Bam Rodriguez, you know, fought Carlos Quadras, and Bam Rodriguez ended up winning with, a, you know, just a superb performance. But there are some parallels, but, you know, in regards to this fight, but it's very, but it's still very different, very interesting. It's to me, it's interesting because the Chocolatito already has a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, he could retire today, first ballot Hall of Fame, unquestioned. He could, he could have retired like five years ago and still would have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. Exactly. At this stage in their career, who's taken that Martinez fight in a in a in a different weight division? Who's taken on a hard punching guy that's on a roll, young gun? that's at the top of his game, who's taken that guy on at this stage in their career? Absolutely nobody. Mm-hmm. This is this is one of those things that makes fighters special. And Chocolatito didn't get to where he's at with good timing, picking opponents at the right time, fighting everybody, but fighting them at the right time. Chocolatito got here because he always said, yeah, I'll fight that guy. Who else do I got to fight next? He consistently has fought the best of the best of the best in four different weight divisions. And now here he is probably in the twilight of his career. He's going to have a, uh, it's going to be a a big deal when he does retire here. He is now saying, okay, my trilogy fight is off. Who else can I fight? And then they come to him with probably the most dangerous fight outside of the trilogy fight. And he says, yeah, yeah, Let's go do it. The balls on this guy, you know, he, he, he's probably got to wear two pairs of pants just for those. Yeah. And, and, and it's amazing because he's on this incredible run after the two losses to Sarusic at Sorum Visay. And, you know, I'm sure you've also heard a lot of people were clamoring. Chocolatito should probably retire after that second loss to Sorum Visay because Chocolatito looked out of it. He looked like he was still reeling from that first loss to Sarumvisai, and he got dominated. And then out... I thought he could have. And I, 
he comes out to work, work, he beats Calia five, wins the PBA title, and then just goes on this absolute tremendous tear. And, you know, you can argue very strongly that Chocolatito should still be uh, a, a champion right now. I thought that Chocolatito should have won that fight. Well, I, I thought he beat Estrada too. It doesn't, it doesn't upset me that uh, Estrada won. Mm. Honestly, there was no loser in that fight. No. If anything, uh, with the way that fight went down, Nobody considers it really a loss for Chocolatito except for people that don't know what they're looking at when they go to box rec and look at records. I thought after the Sol Rungvisai, I thought he was going to retire. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember after the Sol Rungvisai fight, uh, when he was going to fight on the uh, on a 360 promotions card, it was going to be another super flight card. Uh, I was in Coachella. And I was there for Tom Loeffler. I do a lot of work for uh, film work for 360, Triple G, Tom Loeffler, all, all the people. And uh, I was there to film Chocolatito. And I remember just thinking, like, he doesn't need this. He doesn't need to be here. He could retire. And his fight that he was prepping for had gotten canceled. You know, he was kind of flying under the radar because he had injured his knee. And uh, I want to say it was like a year, year and a half later. He's getting ready to come back, have this fight with Cal Yafai. He fought on the Triple G Canelo, on the Canelo Triple G undercard, right? Had a tune-up fight. Uh, didn't look great in that fight. And then he gets his fight with Cal Yafai. Mm-hmm. Well, I had, I, I'm talking to some friends down there in Coachella, and I'm saying, hey, how's he looking? And they're like, oh, he looks great. You know, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, they're supposed to say he looks great. You know, it's like the, <laughs> it's like the crappy question that gets asked on the press conference. Yeah. Oh, training, camp. <laughs> training camp's good. You know, and so, uh, and so I asked my friend, I says, Hey, uh, my friend's name is Hector. He says, Hey, uh, how many media are going out to see him? And he's like, dude, it's, it's like a ghost town. here." He's like, there hasn't been anybody to come see him. And in my mind, I thought, this is it. This is the time to do the episode on Chocolatito. So I went out there and, you know, I had him for almost a full week to myself wow. and, uh, and he, they were very, they acquiesced to everything that I wanted uh, to do. They were very, very uh, humble about everything. And uh, him and his manager, Carlos, uh, his dad and his, his strength and conditioning trainer, very great about it. And uh, I, you know, I went out there and when I left, I had some friends uh, uh, in the boxing community. I was talking to, to Doug Fisher and he says, how did he look? And I says, man, Calify is in trouble. And uh, on Twitter, a lot of people were saying Chocolatito was done, that Calify <laughs> was going to retire Chocolatito. Here you had this new upcoming young gunner uh, from the UK, and you know he was looking good. And uh, Chocolatito was on the back nine, and Chocolatito goes in there and does Chocolatito things with Calify. Yeah. And it felt awesome to see. Now, Fast forward after that, uh, before the second Estrada fight, uh, there was more media going to visit Chocolatito. And that's one of those sad realities about boxing. And it's almost a lesson to boxing media is don't count a fighter out just because Mm -hmm. they lose. That doesn't mean it's the end of the story. The story ends when the fighter says the story ends. But there's a lot of things going on before the actual end of that story. (laughs) Very, very good point. And take note, uh, social media, whenever a fighter loses. Uh, right. La- last question before we kind of end things here. Albert, 
when working on this episode, what was sort of the one thing that maybe stood out or one of the things that stood out to you the most when it came to sort of looking at Chocolatito and seeing, you know, obviously this this whole process of getting this episode together? What was, you know, one of the things that sort of stood out to you that is that, you know, a little bit more special or a little bit different from your typical under the hand wraps episodes? Well, this one is is. Filming Chocolatito, I, I kind of go into it a little bit differently than everybody else because of his stature within the sport mm. uh, and and the way he carries himself. Uh, when I'm filming a younger fighter, I'll come in and, you know, things, you know, I'll come in with the colored lights and it's blingy and flashy. <laughs> and, you know, I'll try and put a little bit of more swagger behind uh, their episode. And what makes filming Chocolatito special is you just got to tell people who Chocolatito is. And that's what makes him special. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he, there's no brashness. There's no uh, trash talk or anything like that. It's just, I'm going to go in and I'm going to fight. And that's what makes it special. And it, it's kind of amazing as I'm sitting and I'm editing uh, his, his piece. And I'm listening to the interviews over and over and trying to find the good parts and things like that. It's all good. It, and and don't get me wrong, Chocolatito is not a great interview. You know, his <laughs> answers are pretty short. Uh, his answers are pretty short and they're pretty soft. So, but listening to the way he talks about things and his perspective on the world just makes it a lot more, uh, a lot more fun for me whenever I'm editing his piece. Albert Baker, thanks so much for taking time to talk to me. You can find him on Twitter at. The Albert Baker. I just want to make sure I got that right. You can find yeah. his, his channel under the hand wraps, a phenomenal documentary series. Go out and check it out. It, I highly recommend it. The episode on Chocolatito coming up, I believe you mentioned March 3rd, if I remember correctly. That's correct. We're shooting for March 3rd. We're going to we're gonna be working on it down to the wire. Uh, we're, we're almost done with it and uh, looking for a March 3rd date to uh, get it out just before the fight. Albert, thanks so much for taking time to uh, talk to me. I really appreciate it. Have a great day, man, and enjoy the fight. I'm looking forward to seeing the final product. Uh, thank you, Carlos. And before we move on to our next segment and kind of bring on Robert Silva, I do want to mention that we, uh, we Robert and I, on the Pound for Pound podcast, did a special Patreon episode on the Fight Game Media Patreon, looking at some of the greatest upsets in boxing history. It's our special little series that we're doing for the Patreon. We already did... Lloyd Hunnigan upsetting Donald Curry for our January episode and for February, kind of early March-ish, whatever you want to call it. This will be an episode of the first fight of Roberto Duran versus Esteban de Jesus, where de Jesus shocked the world and handed Duran his first loss. Robert and I did an episode looking at that, so expect that episode this week. On the Fight Game Media Patreon. And now, we can finally welcome in Robert. Robert, how are you doing? Hello? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear you loud and clear? What's up, Carlos? Hey, <laughs> yeah, everything all right there? Can I heard like a little train I, or something? I, if, if people have listened in the past, I live on the 15th floor in a high-rise building in Harlem in which right across from me is an elevated Metro North train station. And every 15 to 20 minutes, a train's going one way or the other. 
<laughs> yeah, I de- we definitely heard our train, but that's all good. Now, that's all. Either you're going to hear that or police sirens. I can't control that. <laughs> <laughs> and I might tell you're going to hear uh, hospital sounds, ambulance sounds. I don't know why there you I like that on there. there. You... And helicopters. Mm-hmm. But now the biggest story that has really kind of taken over boxing. We finally got the official announcement of Canelo Alvarez's future, and that is fight against WBA light heavyweight champion Dmitry Bivol in May on the zone pay-per-view. That's right, the zone is going to pay-per-view. Now, this will be the first of a multi-fight year uh, uh not nah, yeah, multi-fight deal with the zone and matchroom boxing. No specific number. Now, it's initially it was reported that the deal with Matchroom is going to be a two-fight deal. There's going to be a fight in May, which is the Babal fight. And then there's a fight in September, which the zone did confirm that is the plan. Canelo Alvarez in September, but no opponent was named up to that point. Uh, at that point. It is very likely that it's going to be Gennady Golovkin if he beats Ryoto Murata. And that fight looks like it's finally going to be a go for early April in Japan. Potentially a third fight with Canelo Alvarez and the Zone this year, maybe in December, because now it's looking like the Zone, Eddie Hearn, and uh, Eddie Reynoso and Canelo Alvarez are looking to make a third fight as part of the package, which would reportedly make it a 160 million dollar fight deal, 53.33 million dollars per fight. Now, there's a lot of different layers, so you, you know, a lot of different angles you can take from this. But I guess the immediate thing would be, now that it's official, Robert, what do you think of Canelo versus Bivol? I, I don't care about what the second or third fight's going to be. I don't know who it's going to be. I could care less. <laughs> I only concentrate on the immediate uh, fight, which is, man, two months away from now. Two, two months and a week away. As we record, and it's on my 54th birthday, so I'm going to a Keep Sweat concert that Friday the 6th with my lady, and I think on the 7th I'm going to take my nephew to a movie theater and see the fight. Um, Bavall is Canelo's toughest opponent since the second Triple G fight. Bavall has a legit shot at beating Canelo. I've been saying this for months. For over years since we started this podcast, that the most difficult opponent out there for Canelo Alvarez is Dimitri Bavol. So all you people out there crying and bitching and moaning, how come he's not fighting Charlo? How come he's not fighting Andrade? Look, Dimitri Bavol is a legit light heavyweight. In my opinion, he's the most skillful light heavyweight on the planet. He's got the type of style that... Has always given Canelo fits. This is a tremendous fight. This fight will not be boring. Bavol will be giving it a thousand percent. Canelo has to give a thousand percent to win a to win the fight. I'll go into my prediction when we get there. But right now, in my opinion, this is a 50-50 fight. This is not an easy fight. People talk about, oh, I got a three-fight deal. Let's look at one fight at a time, ladies and gentlemen. And that first fight is a difficult fight, and I love to see it. Now the 
there's yeah i mean obviously we don't know what the second and third fights are going to be it's likely it's going to be golovkin but even then that's we can't say that for 100 percent certainty. we should just stick to the may 7 fight because looking ahead does does nothing does nothing, does nothing. you're nobody. right you're right it does nothing yeah. and because to me and to be honest with you if canel loses to bivol which he like which is a 50 50 chance of him lose it's not an easy fight it takes a lot it takes the luster off whoever he fights in september but the also the interesting thing now is that this fight is not going to be on regular old born zone yeah it's going to be on pay-per-view that's and and that's really going to be a real challenge to try and sell that fight because here's kind of the whole issue if you if you hadn't heard about the zone uh in its beginning when they first moved into the United States they had this massive campaign this entire this huge media campaign on social media on television where they bring out celebrities and they just constantly pound into your head the pay-per-view is dead no more paper you don't have to worry about that we got an app that will give you all the great boxing you want monthly subscription never have to pay for pay-per-view ever all of a sudden a few short years later we're now in this position where the zone, you know, has to, you know, for lack of a better word, looks very hypocritical for having to talk about how much the pay-per-view is dead. And now all of a sudden they, they're going the pay-per-view route. Now, from a business sense, I get it. I fully get it. I totally understand. And I'm not faulting them for going pay-per-view. But at the same time... All the ridicule that they've been getting, all the bad PR that they've received, been receiving on social media and everywhere, it's warranted. It's absolutely warranted. Well, all I know is they have to be bleeding money. How come we haven't gotten any reports of finances? Well, according to uh, Dave Meltzer, I think it was on a recent, I don't know if it's the latest one, but it was a recent Wrestling Observer newsletter that they did, uh, I think the zone lost. Around eight hundred million dollars, or how much? Eight hundred, like eight hundred million dollars plus. I don't remember since since day one or for one year. I don't know for certain, but wait a minute. That, I thought it was Triller that lost a ton of money. Actually, it may have been Triller. Actually, I have no idea. No, actually, since I mean, the zone, it was Triller, Ryan Kavanaugh. Actually, may, actually, you may be right. I, 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 I have no idea. Actually, <laughs> we need to know what the hell's going on with the zone. How the hell are they still in existence? Because they are. They have to be bleeding money. Well, I I never hear about subscriber reports. There are not enough boxing fans willing to pay a $20 monthly service fee to watch the trash that they have on their service. All right. I don't see how they're still in existence. Well, I know that John Skipper, when when he was in charge, when they when he first brought the zone America was trying to use that. Oh, well. Boxing will will be our way to get to the MLB, NFL, and NBA pack. No. Like I said at the very outset, ESPN, Turner, Fox, Viacom, CBS will not allow the zone to step in on their territory. It's not happening, and it will never happen. It was a joke to begin with. Skipper had to resign. I don't know, Carlos, how they're still in existence. Well, the thing is, they have... You know, they have very, very wealthy owners who are more than willing to. Yeah, but put I mean, money. you gotta have a turn. You gotta have a return for your investment. They're, these guys aren't. These guys aren't getting any bang for their buck. You're right. You're right. And you know, 
the issue with overpaying Canelo Alvarez, which, you know, none of this is on, is on Canelo. Canelo, you know, he'll get paid whatever someone is willing to pay but him. it's in. not just Canelo. They gave Anthony Joshua a ton of money. They, they, they've signed all these fighters to huge deals, Triple G. But no, nothing you, – you can't make a profit that way. I don't see how they're still in existence. And remember the, the deal they had with Golden Boy that uh, – what was that huge deal Canelo signed at the beginning? Thirty something million per fight. Remember yes. when the zone first came into existence? Joshua's made forty and fifty million dollars fighting for the zone from uh, in a few fights. How are they? I I don't understand it. I don't. And the money's not coming out of Eddie Hearn's pocket. They're paying. They're paying Eddie Hearn. The I I think honestly the issue is that. Two, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of things. One, I think they grossly overestimated how many people in the United States would pay for an app just to watch boxing. They think they hey, but originally it was nine ninety nine. Then they shot it up to nineteen ninety nine because they weren't making money at nine ninety nine. Not making money at nineteen ninety nine. And you're right, they overestimated. And look, people talk about cut the cord and cable. But if you buy every app out there, you might as well have cable. <laughs> you're gonna end up paying having to pay. More than what you More. did on cable. Yes, with Disney Plus, AMC Plus, Peacock Plus, HBO Max, The Zone, ESPN Plus, Hulu, Netflix. Do the math. <laughs> you know, I'm so thankful that my family in Puerto Rico has a DirecTV account. And with that, I can access kind of almost everything that I need. I can access. Yeah. I can access ESPN. I can access Showtime. I can access yeah. Fox most of the time. And yeah, I mean, not much else after that. But still, and you got the NFL ticket too if you want to pay a little extra with DirecTV, the only one that the only uh, outlet that has the NFL package. Oh no, I have I my phone carrier is AT and T, so I get free NFL games. Uh, okay, God. all right, okay, it's AT AT and and on regular TV, satellite television is DirecTV. All right, gotcha. Yeah, so. But the, but the larger picture is that here's the thing. You're paying Canelo Alvarez $53.3 million. You're going to have to figure out how to get that money somehow. And pay-per-view is, you know, the quickest way. But here's the issue. If it was so difficult to try to get fans to sub- people to subscribe to your app to begin with, how much harder is it going to be to have to sell them on the app plus pay-per-view after you spent years telling them mm-hmm. that pay-per-view is a thing of the past. Of the past. Let me ask you a question, Carlos. Uh-huh. Uh, is this going to be regular pay-per-view where you don't have to buy the app like like ESPN has done in the past, where you have to buy the app and then order through the app? Or can you order straight from your cable box the fight? I'm going to see... <sighs> I'm trying to see if the wording of their press release mentions because if if you have to buy the zone to get the pay per view, this is going to be an epic fail. So the way this is worded, and I'm reading this from the press release verbatim: the May Seven blockbuster will be available to subscribers around the world on the zone, excluding Latin America and Mexico. In the United States and Canada, the event will be offered exclusively on the zone pay per view. Sounds like you have to buy the app to get the man. This go. This going to be. And here's the. And here's. And here's. This the, might be the lowest uh, Canelo pay per view buy of all time. 
because nobody's going to want to buy the zone to get a pay but they're going to want I'm, I'm glad if well I would I would have watched it illegally if I was home but since I know this fight will be in movie theaters I will take my nephew pay the 25 30 dollars per ticket at the at the movie theater and call it a day cuz I ain't no way in the world are you going to have a significant amount of people that they need to do that oh get the zone to get the pay-per-view. They try to up their subscri- subscription numbers. <laughs> so it's going to be $59.99 for current subscribers to the zone and $79.99 for new subscribers, which includes a one-month subscription. Yeah, $20 subscription. And yeah, yeah. They, this is a way of trying to jack up subscriptions. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to work. This fight is going to bleed money because you got to pay Canelo 54 mil. And how much you say Bavol's going to get? 10 to 15 mil? I, I, what do you think? I have no idea. Think? I don't think it's even going to be that much. Here's the problem. Here's the issue. If you're paying Canelo 53.3 million. Because remember, uh, Bavol's a champion. You, you, well, you got to pay him a he, He's a champion, but he has all, virtually no footprint in the United States. His last few title defenses were outside of the United States on the zone. So this right. is already right. an extremely the tough last, sell to yeah. begin with. He hasn't fought on HBO in over four years. And, right. and let's be honest, he hasn't looked super exciting in his recent title defenses. There's not a lot to be excited if you're just a casual fan. I mean, you and I know how great Dimitri Bivol is as a yeah, boxer. But the casual fan really doesn't. Yeah. And the problem is $53.3 million. You're gonna need a lot of uh, you know, you're gonna need a lot of pay-per-view buys to get it. Because here's the thing. If you we don't know the location of the fight, but if the fight ends up in Las Vegas, which is very Strong possibility. It's, it's either going to be Vegas or Texas. It's not going to be anywhere else. Actually, right now, the current reports, and we're recording this on late March the 1st, it's either Las Vegas or Los Angeles. Oh. And if you do... Well, they, they don't have to... Well, they don't have to worry about baseball right now. <laughs> no, no, they don't. God. Don't even talk to me about that whole mess. I'm 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 real mad about that. Look, 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 look. I want to throw somebody out the window, but go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So <laughs> you can't rely on the gate to cover that fifty three point three million because no, no, in in Nevada, only two fights ever have done have grossed a uh, a gate of more than fifty three million, which were Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao versus uh, Floyd Mayweather. Right, Canelo's right. best gate in Nevada, the first Canelo versus Triple G fight, which only did $27 million. Yeah, but what about when he's fought in Texas? That, I'm not sure. I don't think it Minute was. Minute Maid Park, I think he, he sold 50,000 tickets for that fight against James Kirkland. I don't think it was that expensive. Well, the ticket prices weren't that huge. So, let's, so let's you know, 53.3... Uh, million and you take out let's you know let's be ultra generous say 30 million dollars in tickets like the absolute most generous way possible that still leaves you with 23 well, million what about Bavol's what about Bavol how much you think Bavol will get for this fight well see, yeah, that, we'll see that's the thing if we're doing this with the if, if everyone let's say everyone who buys the pay-per-view goes to the $80 route you would need 291,286 and a half pay-per-view buys just to cover Canelo's purse if you get 30 million at the gate. This and by the way, 
But that's not just you got international TV rights. You got other monies coming you in. You got other right? money, but my overall point is is that this is a huge gamble for a platform that, let's be honest, it's been more misses than swings. Well, maybe the positive that comes out of this is that this is this finally buries the zone into uh, extinction. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. They, they, they got this run's got to end eventually because there's no. <laughs> There's no light at the end of the tunnel, tunnel with these guys. I don't know. They just keep throwing money, 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 money at whatever issue is. The issue is nobody's buying that goddamn service, period. Right. So the biggest uh, – so this past weekend, there was a lot of boxing. There was a lot of upsets. There was a lot of weird stuff and a lot of, you know, interesting stuff that, that occurred in boxing, I don't even know where to begin, but I guess a good place. Let's to... begin with Mr. Overrated Josh Taylor, who was talking a lot of smack, talking about he wanted to go to 147 and become as dominant 147 as he's been at 140. And he goes and he shits the bed. Yep. Uh, you know, for those of you, obviously, to start the podcast, you know, Albert and I talked about the fight. I did not like the, the decision. I thought that Jack Catterall won that fight. It was a point. horrible decision. Uh, and then he had the nerve to say after the fight that he convincingly won and that he's not giving Catterall a, a rematch. What kind of a champion is this clown? And like I told you for a long time, Josh Taylor says he's going to move up to 147. He's going to... He's uh, going to get his the ass water. handed to him. He's going to get his ass handed to him. Because I tell you right now, Carlos, I don't think he could beat Conor Ben. Never mind. <laughs> the Never mind the big three who will all put him in the hospital in Boots, Bud, and Spence. He doesn't have a shot in the world against those three. I don't think he beats Conor Ben, which would be a major fight in England if they put it together. Yeah, it's, yeah, I like that fight. I don't think I don't think Josh Taylor would ever risk himself doing that. I don't think he would. Nah, risk... he'd probably go straight to a title shot. Well, there's the th- well, that's the thing. So, Josh Taylor is a WBO super champion, so he has the ability to become the number one contender for the next mm-hmm. uh, for the title in the next weight class up. However, there's also not really a hidden cl- a hidden clause, but super champions also have a longer period between mandatory title defenses. And Terrence Crawford, the current WBO welterweight champion, he's also a super champion from his time when he was the undisputed junior welterweight champion. He gets the benefit of extra time after in between mandatory title what, defenses. Was it Sean, Sean Porter? Wasn't that a mandatory? It was. So All now right, so he's got plenty of time. So yeah, so, he has un- so Terrence Crawford technically does not have to fulfill his mandatory until May of next year. Look, that would be the perfect fight for uh, Crawford to feast on before he fights Errol Spence or you guys. Uh, he will put a beating on Josh Taylor. Sign that fight so we can end this uh, nightmare of Josh Taylor because. People had the nerve to tell me, oh, he's got the skills to beat the three uh, Bud Boots or uh, Spence. How can you say that when before the – take the Catterall fight out the way because I agree with you, Carlos. Catterall was robbed. 
His last four or five fights, he has barely won those fights. He hasn't been dominant. He barely he barely beat Progress. He barely beat Postal. He barely beat Ramirez. The only one that was the real definite definitive victor was Abinon Kong Song, and that one was we all saw coming well, no, on my that way. That guy's not on the same level as the three guys he barely beat. Not I'm even not even close. counting that fight. I'm not even counting that fight. <laughs> if he could barely beat Ramirez, Progress, and Postel, how the hell does he have a shot at beating real welterweights in Spence, Boots, and Bud? Make that Bud Taylor fight, and hopefully Bud will beat him so bad that he'll have no choice but to go back down to 140. Because there's no way in the world he could beat Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford can go in there with a with, with an eye patch, and he's still going to beat Josh Taylor. Taylor looked horrible Saturday. And this was a disgrace how they robbed Jack Catterall. There should have been three major upsets on Saturday, not two. And speaking of those other upsets on Saturday, Showtime had a wild card in, in, in Showtime, Vegas. Carlos Showtime continues to be the best boxer network on the planet. Card opens up with Jerwan Ancajas versus Fernando Martinez for the IBS Super Flyweight title. Martinez just goes to work on Ancajas, just throws a, a barrage of punches Throughout 12 rounds, you know, lands over 400 power punches across 12 mm-hmm. rounds. And Cajas, you know, his work rate was a fraction of what mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. of what Martinez did. Wins, uh, Martinez wins the decision to become the new IBS Super Flyweight Champion. Ends boxing's second longest uh, active uh, title run. What, among what did you, how did you have the fight score? God, I cannot remember. I mean, I, like, I had car- 118, 110. I think I had a, I probably would have had it. You like, might have had a 117. 117 I probably would have had yeah, a 117. Yeah, Problem is, the yeah. card had started a little late, and it was a, it was just a long day of boxing. So I wasn't really too concerned with keeping track of rounds. It, but Martinez won. Martinez obviously won, and this was a, God, this was such hey, a fantastic. Two judges had a 118, 110. One had a 117, 111. It was a convincing. Victory. He totally dominated. He beat the hell out of Cajas, who has no defense whatsoever. Uh, he couldn't hurt Martinez. Martinez was a locomotive. He kept coming, kept coming, beat the hell out of uh, 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 Cajas. And I see a lot of similarities between both Martinez's, Fernando and who you spoke about earlier today, Julio. Uh, man. How about a fight between the two Martinez's eventually, hopefully? That, <laughs> man, that could actually be pretty good. That'd be a war because neither guy takes a step back. <laughs> I would love to see that. I would actually like to see that happening. Uh, co-main event. Um, I'm just going to mention the result because I – Oh, by the I, way, I, uh-huh. by the way, uh, Cajas versus Martinez is a early candidate for fight of the year. Even though mm. uh, Martinez dominated that fight, there were some incredible exchanges throughout this fight. Very exciting fight. For those who haven't seen it, check it out on Showtime anytime or Showtime On Demand. It's a tremendous fight. Um, I give Akash some credit. He took a beating, but he never quit. <laughs> Co-main event, uh, Gary Antoine Russell versus Victor Postal. Russell stops Postal at the end of their uh, of their fight in the 10th round. That you know, uh, I don't want to go like super in detail about this because it feels weird sort of kind of detailing the fight given the circumstances of Victor Postal 
and his family in the right, Ukraine. Right. right where right, right. you know, but uh, uh, Gary Russell looked impressive. He did. Uh, he did. He looked fantastic, he, and he earned every bit of that victory. A uh, prayers out to Victor Postol and his family. But uh, I've got as far as the stars of the weekend, Martinez won, and two A and two B, Catterall and. Russell, they all, all three of these, and like I said, like like Carlos said, should have been three upsets this weekend, not two. Well, Russell doesn't count. Russell was the favorite. Now we'll talk about the upset later. <laughs> yeah, and you know that fight, and you know Russell looked phenomenal. He's now inching closer and closer to a title shot at 140 pounds. I could. Very I wish there was him. a way they could make a Taylor Russell fight, but you know politics would get in the way. But I'd love to see that fight. Mm-hmm. Main event was maybe about as shocking of an upset as you'll see this year. Hector Luis Garcia just complete I mean dominate is wouldn't even be the proper word. I think would one sided beating one sided beating one sided beating dropped him did whatever he did. Cole, I'm talking Colbert. to Chris Colbert by the way. Chris Colbert came into that fight. You know what it reminded me of Carlos? What? It reminded me of the night I was at Madison Square Garden back in, I believe it was January of 06. You could look it up. As a matter of fact, I'm certain it was January 2006 because it was also the night uh, you had a cruiserweight unification uh, title fight on on, on, um, on that night. The recently departed O'Neal Bell was on that card. Uh, the main event was Zab Judah versus Carlos Baldemir, and Judah was talking a lot of smack. Before the bell ring, he smacked Baldemir in the stomach. Like he was treating him like he was a chump. And Baldemir went and did what Garcia did Saturday night. He beat Zab Judah from pillar to post to take away Zab Judah's undisputed welterweight championship of the world. And you know what the IBF did? Mm-hmm. They said, we didn't recognize this fight. Zab stays IBF champion. <laughs> and so Zab, as a reward for getting his ass kicked, Got his ass kicked three months later when Floyd beat him in Vegas. But go ahead. Um, that's what this fight reminded me of, Carlos. Yeah. It, yeah. Garcia drops Colbert. And then, you know, before, during, and after, you know, that knockdown, which is complete one-sided beating, as Robert said, you know, just even late into the fight, you, this, Colbert's body language just, he was just trying to looked survive. like someone yeah. who just gave up. He just didn't no, he was just, he was just trying to go the distance. That's what he was doing. Yeah, like he wasn't trying to win the fight anymore. He it was more of a he was just trying to survive. And yes, yes, he was just thoroughly beaten. Garcia absolutely earned this win. He earns. He should get the title shot against Roger Gutierrez next. He absolutely deserves it. And for and Cole, that's going to be a hell of a fight. Yeah. And you know what, Carlos? I was thinking this while I was watching the fight. Gutierrez would have beaten Colbert Saturday night. He I would. mean, I feel yes. bad for him. He because you you have been watching Gutierrez like I have since he since damn near first ten fights of his career. He gives a hundred percent in every fight, and he would have given Colbert hell, and he would have beaten Colbert Saturday night because Colbert came in that ring, you know, with, with the clown suit and with uh, the, the 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 rapper that came in the ring with him. Like, you know, the fight was over. All he had to do was show up. Uh, no, no. Colbert's got all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the hunger to match that talent, there's a reason why Floyd Mayweather is one of the greatest fighters of all time, because his hunger matched his ability. There's a reason why Manny Pacquiao is one of the greatest fighters of all time, because he stayed hungry. 
once you you can't lose your hunger when you when you barely a contender. You just was a prospect. No, no, totally disappointed in his performance. And Colbert could become that next Adrian Broner, where he's a stepping stone. Um, because we know how deep the one thirty and one thirty five pound division is, and he took a huge step back losing. Saturday night. It's going to be a hard time to get back to where he was. Yeah, it's going to be a, a long road. But, you know, not and he an was impossible talking, road. And he was talking about, oh, I watched Shakur Stevens. Man, he'd get a worse beating than what Jamal Heron get, uh, got from Shakur. He need to leave that alone. He needs to start all over, maybe get a new training team. Uh, get whoever he's hanging around with, get away from him. He's got to go back to square one and show that hunger. Because if he doesn't show that hunger, Carlos... It's a wrap for him. It was a disgrace how he fought Saturday night. Yeah. But I'm not going to completely count out Chris Colbert because I think he's a very naturally talented fighter. And one yes. loss does not, yes. you know, define a, a, a fighter's career. No, but, but it, I have it's all seen about it, how he should, how he bounces I have back. seen it over and over again where that guy who had all the bravado in the world was never the same after that first loss. Zab Judah versus Kata Zoo. Uh, there's so many damn examples. I'm hoping I'm hoping that this was a wake-up call for Colbert. We'll see. I'd be remiss if we did not at the very least briefly mention the Sunday matchroom on the zone card, which I thought was actually a pretty decent card, all things considered. One thing that I wanted to point out. Hey, uh, oh. before you continue, what was the attend you get an attendance for the uh, uh Arena? The O2 Arena, I keep saying Oz. The O2 Arena, I always say Oz because I always think that two's a Z. <laughs> uh, I have no, uh, no, I did not. I don't know if there's an actual attendance number out there, but I did not see one or get okay. one. That's strange how they have a Sunday night card at that huge arena. Yeah, it is weird, but you know what? I don't mind some. I don't mind some Sunday boxing, especially with no NFL happening anymore uh, until you know much much. Yeah, later. but in, in 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 England, they're not looking at the NFL. I guess it's if 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 uh, soccer, foot football, the uh, the original football is is on the schedule anywhere. Right. So one of the notable highlights was a vastly improving Campbell Hatton, who. I mean, he he looked so much better in this fight than in any of his fights. There's noticeable improvement. He looks so much more confident in the ring. He's a much sharper puncher. There's some tools in his arsenal that could be pretty good weapons if he decides to, if he and his team work on them. His uppercut, his left uppercut could be something uh, pretty formidable. And this is a really good step up for uh, Campbell Hatton as far as his development is concerned. Now, did, by, did you by any chance watch this Kareem Gurphy-Jordan Gill fight, Robert? No, no. I only watched the Lawrence Coley fight. I didn't watch the undercard. The uh, if you, Folks, if you have not seen this fight, go watch it because it is a wild fight capped off by one of the greatest comebacks that you'll see in, you know, in the last few years. So the fight starts off with Gurphy just, you know, outpacing, outgunning, outworking uh, Jordan Gill. And it gets to a point eventually where, you know, Gill makes it, you know, minor adjustments. And then Gurphy just completely dominates the fight. He hurts Gill multiple times. And there was a moment in the fight where Gurphy hurts Gill, sends him up against the ropes 
and then they both get tangled up, and then Gurfy has him in a has uh, Gil in a headlock, and they both fall down. Gurfy essentially DDTs him like a like a smooth as butter Jake Roberts DDT. <laughs> Gil Gil's head bounces off the canvas. Wow! Like literally bounces off the canvas at the end of the round. And when he had him in a headlock, and he fell uh, DDT style back first. Head first. No, I'm saying uh, the the the, the uh, Gil Gil went head first, but yes. his uh, Gar- Garfield went back. Yeah, yeah, back first. Back, yes, he went yes. back. <laughs> yes. He had him in a headlock, right? And he went back first. Yeah, and <laughs> Gil was also dropped in in the fight, so he was down on the scorecards. He was dropped. He probably got a minor concussion from that DDT. Damn. And then at the end, if I believe it was the ninth round, Gil was in the corner. Gil was hurt. The fight was, there were probably two or three moments throughout the last couple of rounds that the fight could have been stopped. And then with like three seconds left in the round, as Gil was getting dominated and hit with a flurry of shots, Gil throws this miraculous right hand, just one single punch that completely knocks out Kareem Garfi. Get you know, fight over two minutes and 59 seconds of the ninth round, and Jordan Gill is the new European featherweight champion. Would you, would you say, now, now that you've talked about this fight, I knew the result, I didn't see the fight, I'm gonna have to go search this out now. Would, would you give this an early contender for knockout of the year? Given all the circumstances and the build up to that moment, I would actually yeah. call him my number, my, my, my early favorite. I would actually say All right, so uh, ladies and gentlemen, take Carlos's recommendation. I'm going to and watch this fight because the way he described this fight sounds like a fucking hell of a fight. Wow, what a weekend of boxing. S- second half of the fight was wild. It was chaotic. I mean, I'm not sure if I would call this in you know, top five, top ten fights of the year. It was still pretty but, good, but the chaos surrounding everything from the DDT to the knockdown and then all of a sudden the right hand, uh, you know, at the last second. So it was a one-punch knockout come from behind victory. Yes. I mean, it's, you know, it was... In fact, Gil was so out of it, he, the moment he knocked Gurfee out... Gil dropped to the canvas. He was stumbling all over the, the canvas, dropped to the floor, got back up, was very woozy because he had two perforated eardrums and I believe wow, like a broken man. rib and a leg injury. It sounds like a damn movie. <laughs> he was completely out of it. He, at least from body language, I don't think Gil even understood he had won the fight in so, the, in so the we- ensuing seconds afterwards. So we can venture a guess that both men wound up in the hospital that night. Probably. I mean, Gil looked beat up. He was beat up without a doubt. I got to see this fight. Ladies and gentlemen, go watch that fight. Uh, Carlos said it's his number one. So far, we're only only in March 1st. His early uh, leaderboard. It's the early leaderboard on knockout of the year. Yeah, I man, I loved it. 
yeah, you, it's not just the knockout, but it's the buildup to it that make, that just elevates it. Oh, you said he was way behind. He had two perforated ears. He probably had a concussion. Why? And he almost knocked himself out when he knocked out Gil. <laughs> <laughs> and you then can't la- ask for a better ending. <laughs> and lastly, Lawrence Acoli versus Mikel Sislak for the WBO Cruiserweight title. Not much to say there. It you know started off very wild, and then Sislak was just you know. Lots of we, fouling, lots of clinching. It was just very, very bizarre fight that just got worse and worse with time. We oh. want, we got to get uh, some real competition for Lawrence. He is too damn talented to fight stiff after stiff after stiff. We need to get Lawrence in another fight. Uh, well, we got well, we we may get one in Mighty Super Mario Brothers. Good. I hope I hope that happens. Did you let's, wait? Let's, hold on. Hold on. The way you're talking, right? It sounds to me you did not see the the post fight interview. No, I, as oh. soon as the fight was over, I had to go to work. Oh, Robert, you missed! Oh my goodness! As soon as the decision was made, I cut off the TV and, and oh, ran to Robert, work. Robert, oh, you know you should have kept the TV on. What happened? He came in the ring and he challenged so, Lawrence. By the way, I should mention this. Uh, this actually, you'd actually have to go back to before the fight, so. In case some of you don't know, Briandis is in this weird, one-sided, obsessive feud with Jake Paul. Briandis allegedly got a tattoo of Jake Paul on his leg. He did a rap video uh, dissing Jake Paul. And he was brought onto the O2 Arena to be a pan- to be a-, a panelist throughout the card. And obviously, as an effort to build up a potential title unification between Okoli and Briadis. And obviously, Briadis has an upcoming title defense in Australia uh, later this year that he also has to uh, get through before. It's a, man- get- it's a mandatory, right? Uh, God, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I know it's, he has a title defense coming up. And so, before the fight, so. Before the fight, during. In between, I forgot what everything was the. Uh, Co-main event of the fight before then, which I believe was uh, it was the Green Garfi fight and the Galalia fight. He comes out dressed as Mario, like full-on blue overalls, red jumpsuit, Super with the Mario. hat and the mustache. Yes, like straight up Mario, Super Mario. And I wonder if he was on some shit that night. <laughs> he was. <laughs> And he was dressed up as Super Mario just to continuously push that non-existent Jake Paul feud. And it was like it was Look, all. It was no, all. There is no way in the world Jake Paul is going to fight an established elite fighter. It's not happening. So these guys need to leave that shit alone. They're not going to get an easy paycheck putting this guy in the hospital. Jake Paul is going to continue to fight MMA fighters and uh, fighters that are that that are mediocre at best like Huey Fury. He's not going to fight the Lawrence Acoles and the Super Marios of the world. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not done. So, first, Briandis comes out in regular, you know, proper attire. Then the second time he appears on the zone, he's in the Super Mario costume, in the Super <laughs> Mario cosplay. After the fight, Briandis comes to the ring still in his Super Mario cosplay and... Like, just this super, like, Okoli just came back from this 12-round fight to defend his his um, cruiserweight world title. In comes Briadis, 
dressed as Super Mario still. Since they want, you know, trying to, you know, politely go build up the potential title unification. And then all of a sudden, Brandy's just gives, just hands Laura Sicoli this, like, spruce, this, like, not even spruce stuff, it's like just crumpled McDonald's bag. Like, straight up bag from McDonald's. Like, like he got, like... <laughs> I don't even know what's inside of it. I don't think he ever actually explained what was inside the bag. He gave hash browns. <laughs> I'm very surprised if a McDonald's is serving hash browns at at the time it was like 11 p.m. Hey, well, hold up! They might have the same thing out there that they in England that they have in London that they have in in, in New York City, Cleveland, Detroit. Uh, 24 hours breakfast. <laughs> you know what? You know what? That's actually a, that's actually a fantastic point. And I should know this since I've actually you should done, know. I done. Should I've know. ordered 24 hour breakfast at McDonald's countless times during my college <laughs> day in New York City. I should know this. Yes. But yeah, he. But yeah, it's just the image of one cruiserweight world champion. All sweaty, all you know, all exhausted and tired from a title fight. And then on the other side, you have another world champion dressed as Super Mario holding a McDonald's bag. Like, this is like, that is such a bizarre image, but I love everything about it. I don't care hey. what anyone says. I don't care if people think it's cringy. I love it. On a serious, on a serious tip, is this fight? A possibility and make it how I know he has that fight in Australia. Let's say for shits and giggles, he wins. What's the percentage of that fight being made? Because this is the best fight for both fighters right now. I'll go as far as maybe saying 65 percent. 65. I love hearing it. I love hearing it. Good. Yeah, hopefully that fight will happen before the end of the year, sometime between September and November. I'd uh, love to see it. Love to see it. And, um, it's going to be a tough fight for either guy, man. These are two very good fighters. Uh, uh, both are elite cruiserweights. Um, I will definitely, definitely make sure and watch that fight. And um, I would highly recommend everybody out there, if this fight's happening, you listen to the podcast, we'll keep you posted. Now, this weekend in boxing, we've got quite a couple of fight cards. We have... On Friday, a rare Friday top rank on ESPN card, which is actually a pretty good one. Jose Ramirez is it versus ESPN or ESPN Plus? I believe it's both, actually. Okay, well, because wait, um, the NBA on ESPN Friday nights. Uh, Remember, NBA on ESPN is a doubleheader every Friday night, except during the college basketball tournament. Well, then again, we, we're in that. We're in the. No, you're right. You're right. It's ESPN Plus. You're right. Yeah, yeah, because. Um, Friday nights is always on ESPN, either the NBA doubleheaders or during the college basketball playoff season. And we're about to get to that, uh, the, the opening rounds to the finals of the conferences. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. It, it's, it, I just checked it is ESPN. It is, uh, yeah, yeah ESPN is not showing boxing on Friday during the NBA and college basketball season. Uh, yeah. Um, in between. Uh, June and September, yes, but not between October and, and June. 
But, but regardless, main event, Jose Ramirez versus uh, Great fight. Jose Pedraza Great. in a WBC Junior Welterweight title in Minier. The winner of this fight could very well be fighting Jose Zapata for what could be a potentially vacant WBC Junior Welterweight title. This this is a tremendous fight. Pedraza has a solid chance of beating Ramirez. Ramirez never blows his opponent out. Even when he knocked out Maurice Hooker, Hooker he was behind on points. It's always a tough fight. Jose Ramirez finds himself in it. Pedraza has looked good even when he's lost. This is going to be a good fight. It's a fantastic fight. Pedraza, very, a very sharp, very accurate puncher. Um, got to speak with Pedraza earlier this week. He's, he was telling me, you know, obviously, he's now feels like 140 is his best weight. Physically, he looks great. He feels like he's just as agile as he was back when he was a champ at 130 pounds. Right. Except now that he's stronger, he looked fantastic By the in way, his ladies last and fight out. Still, the biggest win of the, – the most impressive win of Tank's career was his destruction of Pedraza. Yeah. Um, overall, all the other victories he's had, that's his best win still in his career. Pedraza's not an easy out. That's going to be a tough fight for Ramirez. It's a 50-50 fight. Fight go either way. I'm looking forward to this fight. And, and Ramirez, and it's very interesting to see what kind of fighter Ramirez is going to be with this being his first fight since the loss to Josh Taylor 10 months ago. But remember in that Taylor fight, he came out strong the last few rounds. It wasn't like he got blown out. He didn't, but you can also make the argument that Taylor kind of took the foot off the gas pedal a little bit towards the end. But he does that all the time. That's why I don't consider him a great fighter. He does this time and time again. The great fighters fight through the end. Uh, Taylor builds a lead and then almost squandered that lead against Ramirez in that fight. You don't do that. You don't do that. Uh, uh, Ramirez never gives up. He keeps coming and coming and coming. Not a great puncher. But he throws volume. Man, I can't wait for this fight. This is going to be a tremendous fight because, as Carlos said, Pedraza's a slick boxer, throws combinations, no wasted movement. Ramirez comes at you. He goes to the body. He never gives up. He, he Endless stamina. It's going to be a very good fight. And you said the winner might get Zapata? Oh, that's another great fight. So here's why I say this, because the WBC – well, Darsh Taylor is likely going to be vacating his title. So – you're obviously going to need fighters to uh, fight for those vacant titles. Jose Zepeda is number one. He's a mandatory challenger at 147. At 140, I should say. Or at least a top contender at 140 at, right, at the WBC. Right. Ramirez is number two. Pedraza is number 10, but you but really number eight because number nine, number 10 were Victor Postal and Jack Catterall. And obviously... And they're, they're, and they're, and, 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 no, Catterall's going up. It's going to be one of the rare cases where a guy who lost a fight moves up in the ring. I don't He's think not the, leaving I don't the think rating. the WBC is going to concern. Well, here's the thing. If Pedraza, that, would be, that would be fucking idiotic. It would be idiotic for them to take him off the ratings after he was incredible saying that he should have won the fight. I've seen in the past you? where is... guys have gotten robbed and moved up in the rankings. But what this is, is a, a case where he deserves to be up in the rankings, not out of the rankings. Robert, I don't disagree with you, but yeah. would it surprise you if that's how it would end up? No, it, uh, it probably is what you said. <laughs> They'll probably take about the ratings, even though he's worst case scenario. Pedraza really is number nine at the moment, yeah. and yeah. you know, at the Zoom media uh, press event. 
it was called a WBC Junior Welterweight title limit. So I'm assuming number the winner's going to be at least number two in the rankings. So yeah. winner yeah. more than likely fights Cepeda for the vacant WBC Junior Welterweight title, which, you know, it's an in-house many, fight that can easily be made. How many fighters like a Cepeda and a Ramirez and a, and a Pedraza, all three of these fighters, these are three of the few fighters in the world, ladies and gentlemen, and Carlos could attest to this, that they never fight an easy opponent. Every one of their fight, every time they step in the ring, is against somebody who could potentially beat them. How many fighters could say that? Not a whole these lot. Three, these three, time in and time in, time again, time in, out and time again, fight the toughest opponents that they possibly can. Look at Ramirez, Pedraza, and and um, Ramirez, Pedraza, and Cepeda's last four or five opponents. There's no easy touches there. No. And I we gotta end the show. I love. I love to. See, I love to see that. I wish more fighters. I, I more agree. fighters followed their their their, uh, their blueprint because I love to see it. I fully agree with you on that one. Before we end the show, obviously, I gave my thoughts on Chocolatito versus Martinez. Albert, Albert Baker, who we had early on in the show, gave his his thoughts. Robert, what are your thoughts on Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez versus Julio Cesar Martinez on March 5th on The Zone? In the last 20 years, now I know I'm writing the, uh, a series of the greatest fighters of the last 45 years. I've got... Chocolatito in my top 25 to 30. I forgot what or what number I had him at, but he's in there for the last 45 years. But in the last 20 years, 22 years, since the 21st century began, I got him in my top five. He's no less than number five in the last 22 years. But sometimes things must come to an end. And I see Julio Cesar Martinez doing a similar number on Gonzalez that uh, Fernando Martinez did on on Cajas. Gonzalez has been in a lot of wars. He's going to fight a guy that keeps coming and coming. Gonzalez doesn't back up. Chocolatito comes in. Martinez comes in. These are going to be two bulls going at each other, and I'm going to go with the younger, stronger guy in Julio Cesar Martinez. Now, I hope I'm wrong because Chocolatito – is one of my all-time favorite fighters. He's in my top 10 as far as fighters that I love, that I just root for all the time. And I'll be rooting for him Saturday night. I don't see how he could beat Julio Cesar Martinez unless he knocks Martinez out. And we both know that Martinez has a fucking jaw like made of granite. So we will see. But I see Martinez violently knocking out Chocolatito between the 8th and 10th round. And hopefully this will <laughs> My prediction, Julio Cesar Martinez, uh, stoppage between the 8th and 10th round. Hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong. Yeah, this will be a very interesting. I honestly could see this either way. I already gave my thoughts on this. I could see this go either way. It's very, But, man, yeah. I love this fight. I think this is a fantastic yeah. fight. Uh, it's a must-see fight. It's a can't-miss fight. Ladies and gentlemen, whatever you're doing Saturday night, I don't know if there's any UFC on. Uh, the Lakers are probably playing on ABC, so you can skip that because right now they got awful. Why do they continue to show this team on? I know why. Well, I know. LeBron, well, I know LeBron, uh, Lakers, and LeBron Warriors are sun, on LeBron Sunday. Is, or actually on LeBron, Sunday on ABC. LeBron 
gets ratings galore. LeBron is the number one athlete, I believe, when it comes to the 18 to 49 demographic whenever his teams play. Whenever the Lakers play, and they're god-awful this year, they do big numbers. Uh, but they're not on Saturday night, so um, watch this. I did, this, is the, this is the thing to watch. This is the thing to watch. Nothing else. There's no football. You're a college basketball fan, I'm sure. You know, you want to see your team. If your team happens to play 10 o'clock Saturday night, DVR the game because they're not going to tell you on the zone the scores. They don't. They don't have a a, a, a thing at the bottom. <laughs> so, watch what watch the fight. Then go back and watch your your team on DVR. <laughs> All right, Robert. Where can the good people read your work and find you on Twitter? Twitter, Robert Silver five seven six eight. As far as my articles go, fightgamemedia.com, the parent uh, website to this weekly podcast. Um, right now, I'm as I've been doing for the last six months, working on my 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years. Um, coming up, where right now you have the number one, the number 21st fighter, Felix Trinidad, that's already been printed. Coming up, I've got two articles that have already been sent, ready to go out. Sometime this week, number 20, Mike McCollum will be out. And sometime early next week, number 19, I've already written, the great bazooka, Wilfredo Gomez. So those are the next two guys on my top 45 of the last 45 years. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Carlos Toro Media. That'll do it for this episode of the Pound for Pound podcast. He's Robert Silva. I'm Carlos Toro. Thanks again to Albert Baker of Under the Hand Wraps for... Being on the show, go check out his work at Under the Hand Wraps on YouTube. And we'll see you next time here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is the Power for Pound podcast. Carl Stowe, Robert Silva, signing out. <laughs>